0: This episode of The Pillar Podcast is brought to you by the 2022 Petrus Development Conference. Join Catholic fundraising professionals in Naples, Florida this June to build the tools and community that make fundraising enjoyable and fulfilling. For more details and to register, go to petrusdevelopment.com slash pdc22 and use coupon code PILLAR
1: for $50 off your conference registration. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the Pillar Podcast, the podcast that brings you great Catholic conversation each week. I'm your host and Pillar Editor-in-Chief, J.D. Flynn, and I am joined by my podcasting partner and pal and Pillar co-founder, Ed Condon. Hiya, J.D. Hiya. How's,
0: how's tricks? Uh, fine. It's, uh, I- I'm not having the early Friday I'd wanted, but, uh... Such is life. We have news and, you know, when you're when
1: we we are journalists, we write news stories and news is happening. So that is good. And we talk about news here on the Pillar podcast. and That's what we're going to do in this hour. We are recording this episode on Friday afternoon, uh, May the 20th. And of course, the big news is that it is snowing outside my window um, on uh, May the 20th in Denver, Colorado. So um, is it really? Denver hath frozen over. Yes. Why would I why would I lie? Oh Lord! It's like mid
0: to high thirties here. I mean, thirty Celsius. So, wait, hang on. I don't know what that is. Uh, no, I got to. I, you could double it and add thirty, so nineties. It's in the nineties <laughs> here. In uh, it's in the nineties of Fahrenheit here in the District of Columbia. Humidity is about a hundred and eighty percent or something insane like that. Mm. Lucky you! You have snow.
1: Yeah, it's snowing. Although uh, we knew that the snow was coming for like twenty four hours, and I nevertheless did not drain my um, sprinklers. So I'm a little bit. I, I'm a little bit nervous that the sprinkler pipe thing is going to freeze but you know it's too late now but but it's it's just hovering in the in the 30 it's snowing but it's just in the 30 so i think it's probably going to be fine i'm sure it's fine that is not the big news um today though ed is it uh no no the 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 news that captured people's attention today was other Yes, the big news today is that this afternoon, Archbishop Salvatore Cordelione, the Archbishop of San Francisco, um, published a letter and a um, what he called a notification, which was um, uh, uh, both of which said that uh, Speaker of the House Nancy Pelosi, uh, the Congresswoman from San Francisco, uh, was not to be um, admitted to Holy Communion in the Archdiocese of San Francisco because of her. Uh, Persistent advocacy to codify uh, um, legal protection for abortion into federal law and to ensure federal funding for, uh, for abortions. That is right. Uh, this, this is going to be
0: a big deal. This is, I, I'll i be honest with you. I mean, I suppose we should have, uh, to an extent we expected that we would see some sort of revisiting of, of the rather um, fractious debate that the U.S. bishops had around this question of, of communion for pro-abortion politicians. Um, since we had the, the leaked draft of the decision overturning Roe v. Wade. Uh, and boy, this is going to, I suspect, kick off that debate all over again. And uh, it is what, May 20th? So mm-hmm. we are just
1: about a month away from the next USCCB meeting. That's right. We are, well, we are and we aren't. We're about a month away from, um, from the USCCB mm-hmm. spring retreat. So the, every three years, the USCCB, rather than having their June meeting, has a kind of a, a retreat, and so this is the retreat year, and uh, and so um, the ordinary June meeting of the USCCB is not really a meeting at all um, uh, in the formal sense of things. There will be some committee meetings and things like that, but it is mostly um, a retreat, a spiritual gathering of bishops, and so this the, there's no there are no public sessions of it. I suspect it will be the talk of the town. Um, but there will not be um, anything, you know, sort of happen out of it or ongoing debate about this. But to be sure, last year for the entire year, um, the United States, until November at least, the United States bishops had had a long, fractious, sometimes quite angry debate about this question in the abstract of should a catholic politician who advocates for legal protection for abortion be prohibited from holy communion and should the us bishops conference say that and if you listen to this show or otherwise pay attention to, at that time or otherwise pay attention to ecclesiastical stuff you already know that that was a whole to do last year the cdf weighed in the holy father was asked about it the bishops were doing politicking and backdoor maneuvering and smoke-filled rooms, and then when they were Zooming together last June, a year almost a year ago now, they were really going for it. I mean, they were they were very strongly disagreeing with each other about whether or not they as a body should say that pro-abortion politicians should not be admitted to Holy Communion. And um, in the substance of some of their um, remarks, you know, there were bishops who were bringing up President Biden Nancy Pelosi, but it was all kind of in this abstract question of should we, the USCCB, talk about it? Because the USCCB doesn't have the authority to, to do it, um, right? To prohibit anyone from Holy Communion, it is a, it is a, um, it's a meeting. The USCCB is a meeting, and uh, and so it doesn't. I've have often that. said
0: it's closer to a trade union than. Uh...
1: <laughs> well, yeah, or uh, I mean, uh, they do some things in common, but but it doesn't have authority um, except when the Holy See says it does, and that's in just a few instances, and so. Um, the question all of last year was like, should we talk about this? Should we say this? And so bishops were certainly saying their position on what they think the church, you know, what they think the right response is to the Eucharist and pro-abortion politicians. But, um, uh, but it, it was not, is someone going to do this and what's going to happen? And and then today, Archbishop Cordeleon uh, said, um, he, he issued a, a series of letters, a letter to his priests, a letter to the Catholic faithful, of the Archdiocese of San Francisco, and then this kind of notification to Nancy Pelosi, which he made public, all of which said that, um, he had been having increasing concerns about Speaker Pelosi's advocacy for legal protection and federal funding of abortion, that he had met with her and talked with her about it at times in the past, but that in recent months, he had been trying and trying to meet with her and that she had been uh, not returning his calls and not um, being willing to have meetings. And um, at the same time, um, her uh, rhetoric on abortion in recent months had uh, escalated at the time of the the Texas law last year. At the you know at once the Supreme Court draft leaked um, uh, just a couple of weeks ago. Now her her rhetoric on abortion escalated, and uh, he felt it all the more important to clarify that um, what she was what what Nancy Pelosi is advocating for when she says that uh, there's a right to abortion. These things is inconsistent um, with the teachings of the Church, and so her identity you, you know her self identification as a faithful, devout, practicing Catholic becomes uh, something of a Of a contradiction to her advocacy for abortion that there's a lack of um coherence there as it were yes and uh and as a consequence he said that um uh in fact the the instruction is sort of to priests and deacons and ministers of extraordinary ministers of holy communion in the the archdiocese because he says she is not to be admitted to holy communion he's closed the door on admission of holy communion for representative pelosi is that right uh that is right i mean he's obviously as you should always do when taking a
0: medicinal action, he has stated clearly the the conditions and occasion which this will be lifted. Which is, he said, she has to publicly abjure um, her stated position on abortion, and you know get right by attending the the sacrament of reconciliation. So it's not a it's not an immovable ban it is not um it is not something perpetual it is it is very much something that is ordered to what such a thing should be ordered to which is hopefully the the conversion of the speaker and moving her away from the position she has staked out really over decades Uh, but especially clearly in in recent months you know you mentioned the you know, in the the Texas law, the the leak decision in Dobbs, uh, all of these things, and you know, we are we are now seeing the the party of which uh, Speaker Pelosi is a senior member and certainly the the leader in the House of Representatives uh, attempting to move to bring in new abortion legislation at the federal level, which would not just legally protect abortion as an idea, um, but protect it up to the moment of birth you know, through all nine months of abortion or of all nine months of pregnancy, that this is, this is some hardcore stuff that, uh, that is being attempted here. And I'm, you know, I, I got the sense reading, um, both Archbishop Corleone's letter and also his, uh, his statement, if you will, the notification that this, this is not, um, it did not read to me like a, a document written either lightly or with any kind of, um uh satisfaction being right. taken in the action. That this uh this read to me like a, you know, something that was done with a very heavy heart, clearly, was the was the sense I got. That this was something that I my senses the Archbishop did not want to do. Um had made repeated efforts to to try and meet with Nancy Pelosi to avoid having to do this. Uh and I mean yeah it's my sense that I think he feels that he just didn't have any other option. And what I find interesting is, you know, we were talking about the discussion among the U.S. bishops, the fractious discussion amongst the U.S. bishops last year, and what the USCCB might or might not say, think, or talk out loud about with regard to all this, but accepting that, you know, they can't do anything, uh, because it's not within the remit of the USCCB. But one thing that the USCCB has always understood, the one thing that Rome, through the Congregation for the Doctrine of the Faith, has always made very clear, uh, is that, this is a job for individual bishops who are the proper pastors for uh, politicians like this, and it's up to them. And so the Bishop's Conference, in a sense, can say or write or talk about whatever it likes, but in the end, where the rubber meets the road is an individual diocese, because it's important that there is that personal link between the individual and their pastor. There is that individual pastoral concern, individual pastoral knowledge. There is that um, that engagement at a personal level, which Archbishop Corleone has indicated he's he's done in the past and attempted to do recently with with Speaker Pelosi uh, that all of that is part and parcel of invoking a canon like 915 that it's not you know it's not a if you like um, a punitive measure it's not you know the imposition of an ecclesiastical penalty that this is this is a pastoral action performed by a pastor out of what. Archbishop Corleone has been very clear. It's not political, but pastoral concern for a member of his flock.
1: Well, yeah. One of the things that I – there's a lot there to unpack, but one of the things that you said that struck me that I have been thinking about myself is that um, last week I was talking about just this, actually. We were talking about just this on the show, or maybe it was – was that bonus episode that we did this week? No, I think it was last week. Right? Yeah. That, this is our first show this week. <laughs> it's been a week, man. It but has. anyway – the last time we were making a show, um, we were talking uh, about just this, it must have been last week, we were, we were talking about just this, and and, uh, and I sort of said, you know, I, I expressed somewhat bewilderment that um, Cordelione, Archbishop Cordiglione has been talking about this for a long time and wrote the, the, an op-ed in the Wall Street Journal and has last year sort of rather explicitly said things about um, the prospect of um, Speaker Pelosi and President Biden receiving the Eucharist, and so the, 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 he's been sort of dancing around this for a while, and I sort of... Raise the question, well, why is he dancing around it? But, you know, I, the, I, it honestly to me, the letter, which has certain, a certain kind of a tentative, I mean, there's a sort of confidence there of I had to do this, but there's a kind of, especially in the letter to Priest, which is like, these are all the times I tried to reach her, there's a kind of hesitation or tentativeness about this. And just the way in which Cordelione sort of talked about this in principle a lot over the past couple of years before doing it suggests to me a kind of, um, at least, I'm not saying conflicted in sort of, um, a sense of not being sure whether it's right or wrong, but a certain kind of a uh, 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 yen on his part not to be uh, not to do this sort of overeagerly or not to do this sort of um, by throwing caution to the wind or or something like that, but rather to sort of be deliberative about it and discerning. It seems to me that the tone of what he's saying has has had that, and, and that's been helpful for me. Um, with one thing, there's one thing I think we should talk about before we get very far into a lot of the elements of this, but it's this, Ed. Um, For um, for Catholics who have um, been working, uh, you know, on pro life stuff for a long time, and uh, have been for Catholics who have been scandalized by um, you know Pelosi's sort of um, flouting of her Catholic faith um, while talking about this, and you know claiming that her views on abortion are consistent with her advocacy for abortion, like um, there is a temptation towards a sort of very natural or human temptation towards a certain kind of Schadenfreude over this. Um, and, uh, a sort of like, yeah, got her. And, uh, that would be, I think quite literally, perspectively uh, prospectively damning, right? Um, because really the whole purpose of a public action like this, the, the sort of what the church says about the purpose of a public action like this is to serve as a, um, to serve as a call to conversion for Speaker Pelosi, but also um, to to obviate scandal for the for ordinary Catholics, and um, and that scandal is uh, is occasioned by the idea that one can live a life outside of the teachings of the Church and at the same time receive Holy Communion. And so, if, if that's sort of the purpose, then one of the intended measures of something like this by the Church, whether it was in I don't know if it's in Cardinal mind or not, I don't know. But one of the intended measures of something like this in the Church is that it be sort of by um, design a moment of of the of an examination of conscience. In other words, um, I am not uh, a person. I'm not my bishop. At least has not told me that I'm a person sort of obstinately persevering in manifest grave sin. That is to say, I'm not in some public condition of um, of uh, of uh, odds with church teaching that everyone can see. OJD is co- constantly, and consistently sort of opposing church teaching. But I nonetheless need to examine my own conscience before receiving the Eucharist to ask, um, Am I indeed uh, fully and wholly, like, living in accord with the teachings of the church? Am I in a state of grace? Um, am I um, am, am I not? Am I, you know, Francis talked last year about a person sort of separating themselves from the communion of the church by this kind of perseverance and grave sin. Is my own, am I, there's a danger here of becoming a certain kind of whitewashed sepulcher. And so, it seems to me that the intention of the church in something like this is that I examine my own conscience about my private sins, which may be, which be may, maybe no less damning, and which may be indeed, um, um, it, just as uh, just as offensive to um, to the holiness um, of the Eucharist, and uh, and do I need to confess them before I before I receive communion myself? Am I receiving the Eucharist with, as it were, eucharistic coherence?
0: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, I think. One of my, one of my great hopes for the the Eucharistic revival, which we've talked about on the show before, is, and this might sound sort of um, counterintuitive, is, you know, a, a sort of personal slogan I have long had for parish life in the secret of my heart is normalize not receiving communion. Um, you know, the right. I think that we we have we've you know, arrived at a at a at a Catholic culture which presumes. Uh, we're that all everybody sta- receive at every,
1: everybody every will receive that everybody yeah. will receive
0: and we're all in a state of grace and, and you know it's just you know of course you know what's the big deal I, I haven't killed anybody it's like well that's that's not how I want to think about the sacrament it's not how I need to think about the sacrament for my own spiritual health you know I I, I try as best I can um, to to go to confession weekly before going to mass and you know sometimes i'm able to sometimes i'm not just depending on the availability of the priest but i you know i tried i try to do it once a week and it's not um uh it's not scrupulosity on my part i i just you know i'm i think having an active uh you know we the, the sort of the 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 great cultural trope about catholicism traditionally is the is the is the morbid concept of catholic guilt um which is uh A sort of external caricature of a a real internal reality with the church in a good way, which is that of us having an active conscience, uh, a a conscience that is always self-examining, is always considering where we are in relation to God, where we are in relation to right living, where we are in relation to our neighbor, all of these things, and and asking these questions and having recourse to the sacrament when when necessary. And yeah, I think you're right that the idea that there could be this sort of attitude or atmosphere of schadenfreude around you know we'll finally you know someone you know some bishop is sticking it to these pro-abortion Catholic politicians and putting them in their place like well no that's that's the exact opposite that you know this is properly understood I mean again this is my sense reading Archbishop Corleone's letter and notification is this is a this is a reluctant act of love that this isn't him sticking it to anybody on the contrary this is him saying you know really I I wish I didn't have to do this, but I can't call myself a good parent if I don't.
1: I mean, that's the that's the impression I'm getting. Yeah, I mean, yeah. So, I mean, I think, okay, so I want to be, I guess, careful not to conflate two things that I think are in danger of being conflated. Like, So one is um, uh, it, it would be wrong to think, yeah, ha-ha, good, the bishop's got her, you know, she got what she deserved. That would be wrong, right? Because the hope is for um, that this is an act which both obviates scandal and affects... Um, uh, Speaker Pelosi's conversion, right? So that would be, but uh, that that would not be right. But um, but is there a distinction between that and someone who says, well, you know, regrettable as it is that there are Catholic politicians who support abortion, regrettable as it is that there that there is this circumstance that they haven't withdrawn from contumacy, as it were. I am glad to see that bishops are. Uh, exercising sacramental discipline because it is a tool that is available to them for the sake of the integrity of the of, of the church and its mission to, to make better um, to make in a certain way to at least by by intention to make better the church's efforts to proclaim the gospel and to be a sign of contradiction. Um, and I am glad to see that bishops are using the tools available to them to situations that have long been situations of scandal. I think that I don't think that is a kind of. Um, A sort of uh, vindictive glee or anything like that. I think it's okay to say, well, if the bishop thinks it's just, I'm glad he wasn't too timid to do it, and I'm, you know, I I, I hope that bishops generally feel confident to engage in acts of sacramental discipline. To me, that seems like a a reasonable thing, which can be distinguished from sort of like something which is, uh, yeah, driven more by animus.
0: Yeah, absolutely, for sure. Those those two things are not. The same, and and yeah, they should not be conflated. That it's, it is right to say that you know we have a, we have a problem in this country, and we have a problem in the church in this country, with uh, very conflicting moral views uh, between reality and people's politics on a number of issues, and to say that you know the church needs to reclaim its own internal moral coherence, which has been, I would argue, um, terribly seeded in in the culture to politics uh, on, on a range of issues, abortion being, in the words of the USCCB, the preeminent one, but including others too, on capital punishment, on love of the neighbor understood in a whole ream of ways across uh, different policies, that we have in many ways um, forfeited our, our Catholic conscience to a political calculus a partisan political calculus usually and to to say that it is it is right and it is good and it is encouraging to see the church through her leaders begin to reclaim the rightful um stake of the church over its own internal conscience and its own internal more witness among catholics is is a very good thing yeah but what, what that can't be is a sort of you know delight in the in the pain or the perceived punishment of an individual i mean that's just lacking in christian charity
1: yeah that's right yeah i can dig it um it is this is you know to the point of hey it's good to see bishops doing a thing that uh, is a tool in the club of bishops to the sense that they judge it to be that um this is not unprecedented um this act of prohibiting pro-abortion from politicians from receiving holy communion in the united states is not unprecedented um, bishop tom paprocki uh Prohibited and with a public announcement, um, what I think two like state senators in Illinois back in 2019. Oh, one was a state senator, one was Mike Madigan,
0: who was forever the leader of the state house. Oh, yeah, so he was a state state
1: representative, yes, yeah, yeah. So the, there was it was like in 2019 and there was an abortion bill, and the, these two Catholic guys were big-time supporters of this abortion bill, and um, Bishop Paprocki prohibited them from receiving um, the Eucharist in the Diocese of Springfield, which I don't think they were actually um, residents of the Diocese of Springfield, which which is an interesting point about the nature of this act that we'll talk about it in, in a minute. Um, am I right about that, that they were they were quasi-domes out there, but that wasn't like their district, right? It was, wasn't was Springfield, right?
0: Uh, that well, that is correct. Um, I don't know where they where they live relative
1: to the congressional districts and the reach of the diocese. I, 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 but I'm not I, sure that they were his subjects. I'm not. I'm not. I'm not certain that they were his subjects, which I think is interesting. Uh, that may be. I, I
0: am. I am always. It's funny. I've I've had this argument with people before about the canonical jurisdiction of um, of bishops of capitals mm-hmm. over uh, people who occupy. Uh, particular government functions, and whether there's an official residence attached to that office in the capital, and things like that. It's it's interesting. I mean, there was this this was a big question. I think we debated actually uh, in relation to former new york governor andrew cuomo about well where does he live if he spends most of his time in new york fine but he's the governor of new york he's the head of state the official
1: residence of the head of so state does he in live in albany because that's where the official residence is yeah kind of anyway things. so it's an open it, question i do, i, I couldn't say for sure it's actually not it's it's interesting because um it's there's a there's canonically it's it's not actually relevant whether the guy's a subject or not for a reason that i think we'll talk about probably after the break but the point only now was just that 2019 paprocki um uh, told these you know, prohib- prohibited these. Uh the administration of Holy Communion to these two Catholic guys in the Diocese of Springfield, um, because having, of their, as he
0: said, met with them repeatedly. Yeah, privately. having
1: met with them repeatedly, and we actually interviewed Bishop Paprocki about that last year, and he said that he had tried and talked with them. That as soon as he became the Bishop of Springfield, he began engaging with them, and I think when he was an auxiliary Bishop of Chicago, he'd been engaging with them, and and so there was this long history, and and I think that's what Cordileone tried to um, to outline today was this long history, but um, but 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 you know the the 2019 thing was mostly, and, and there are other bishops who I know who have prohibited pro-abortion politicians from receiving Holy Communion as well. Um, But the 2019 one is the most recent one that was sort of like public and that got some news coverage, but it was not, it was kind of just quick, like, oh, this happened. And it wasn't, there wasn't a lot of news coverage of it because these were state representatives and also because we just weren't in the moment in 2019 that we're in right now. But right now where abortion, the disagreement over abortion in America is like taking center stage as we wait for the decision in the Dobbs case, um, I I just want to sort of talk about like the social implications of this before we get into some of the canonical and, and, and ecclesiastical stuff? Because I, I think it's going to be, I think over the next few weeks, this is going to be a very big deal, and it's going to be very divisive in the church. It is going to be very divisive in the
0: church, and I'm disappointed about that. In I, what way? How do you mean? Well, I I have in my mind, there there is this idea that um, whenever whenever we talk about and by we, I don't just mean you and I. I mean, in general, whenever there's... Yeah, because you talk to other people sometimes, right? I mean, I talk to other it's people It's rare, sometimes. but rare. I don't even mean just you and I. I mean other people. When other people talk... When other talk, people
1: talk with each other.
0: Yes, when other people talk with each other, sometimes in public places, um, about uh, sacramental discipline like this around abortion and around politicians, you you usually get to the point where people say, well, it's church and state. It's the separation of church and state. Right. You, can't, you know, This is terrible. The bishops are playing politics. The bishops need to stay out of politics. It's not their place. It's like, well... I, my answer to that is always no. And then it's like, but I, I don't quite know how to start articulating because it's no in like three different distinct ways. You know, the the, the first is the sort of narrow way of, well, first of all, just because politics happens to have um, some bone to pick with issues of public morality or, you know, natural law, like the innocent taking of uh, say so the the taking of innocent human life through abortion doesn't mean the church has to like get off its lawn you know the the, right. the 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 political sphere doesn't get to declare eminent domain over moral issues and say you know this is ours church has to stay out of it that's just insanity um so there's that Two, when you're talking about politicians and sacramental discipline and things like abortion it's not the church trying to get into politics it's in my almost universal experience um, Certainly when we're talking about them at the national level, it's the politicians who insist on dragging their religion into the into the house with them um, and making and, you know, it's Joe Biden cutting campaign ads with, you know, him, you know, arm in arm with nuns and yeah. talking about, you know, how much he loves being Catholic and how being Catholic forms his entire understanding of public service and his approach to public policy it's nancy pelosi calling herself a pope francis catholic and quoting as
1: she did earlier this week the gospel of matthew on the floor of the house and, and Barr, no more bill Barr, no no less right i mean it's not even a, the the uh, the wearing of religion as a public as a sort of pin as a sort of political pin is not uh, exclusive to the democratic party
0: oh no it's not exclusive to the yeah, democratic yeah, yeah, party right, i'm right, just right. saying that you know while we're talking about the subject of a, yeah, a, yeah. pro-abortion politicians that it's not that the church is like, well, I, there are all these secret Catholics in public life that we're going to out as being Catholics and discipline <laughs> them for this. It's like, no, these are all people who, you know, talk very freely and self-identify as faithful, practicing, devout Catholics and are making their own Catholic identity an issue of political identity. They run on this stuff. And so it's not that the church is trying to, you know, get involved in politics it's the, the church is being dragged into the political process and having to clarify no this is not catholic this is not catholicism and you can't use the name of the church in vain like this that you know so that drives me nuts but then overall of it is whenever people say oh it's a separation of church and say well the idea that prohibiting a public official from receiving communion is an interference in the governance of the state is so ridiculous that I barely know how to engage with people who have that opinion, that what you're basically saying is the church isn't allowed to exist in society, um, that if someone has a political status, it exempts them from having uh, any kind of uh, answerability in, in their religious community, which is nonsense. That, you know, you if you are a Catholic and in public life, then you have certain responsibilities and obligations and your role as a public servant. And you have certain obligations and responsibilities as a Catholic, the same as any other member of the faithful. And you aren't exempted from one because you have, you know, quote unquote, this sort of magical get out of jail free card of, well, I am in politics. And so if you touch me, then that's the church playing politics. That, you right. Know, you it's the
1: sort of Lando Lakes of uh, of, yeah. of political identity where it's like, I Oh, the, yes, sure, I'm totally Catholic, but uh, but obviously that doesn't come into play here. And it right. would be super interesting if people did that in other lines of work, like if it was just like, well, yes, I'm Catholic, but it doesn't... But at work where I, you know, steal from people, that you can hardly argue that it comes into play here. I mean, the, you know, don't right. don't... right. Yeah, I'm working yeah. right now. Yeah, right. I'm, you know... <sighs>
0: Yeah, I happen to run one of the five mafia families of New York. But I mean I go to church on Sunday and you know, right, my right. it's not for anyone to question, you know, my my faith just because of what I do for a living and just because I'm the button guy for, you know, the Gambino crime family doesn't you know, you've no right to discipline me for my day job. That's you know, it's just crazy.
1: Yeah. 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 I, 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 I yes, I, I'm I'm glad you said all of that. Um and I think it's true and I think You know, that's the, that is, um, so there are, there, I I have heard and seen people sort of saying, like, well, um, if, Archbishop Cordeleone is going to prohibit Nancy Pelosi from receiving Holy Communion because she um, advocates for legal protection for abortion. Then the Archbishop should prohibit every single person who commits mortal sins from receiving the Eucharist publicly. That he should treat everyone fairly and 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 do that publicly so that every person who gets drunk or masturbates or contracepts should have a similar sort of letter and press release from the from the diocese and. Um, it is true that every single person who commits grave sins uh, should not receive holy communion. I mean, I think we would affirm that that's what the church says very basically. And I went on a little pious tear about that before. Um, But the difference between, and I think this is just an important sort of catechetical point, the difference between, um, uh, the The reason why the church doesn't say that every single person who commits a mortal sin should be prohibited from Holy Communion is because it does say every single person who commits mortal sin and doesn't confess it shouldn't go to Communion, but it draws a distinction between that and um, and what it calls manifest grave sin, which is to say a grave sin which is in the public eye and then this obstinacy which is habitual, um, this perseverance which is ongoing and which is a sort of state uh, of opposition to church teaching in life or Practice or declaration, um, which is a sort of con- becomes a sort of condition of the of of the person that is known and demonstrable. And the reason why that is different is because while no one who's in moral sin should receive holy communion, what the church says is a person who is in this absent state of manifest grave sin who is receiving holy communion is um, suggesting that there that there that that is continent that receiving the eucharist and being communion with the church is consonant with this other thing, and there and and that. Um, undermines as they say the integrity of the church's declaration of the gospel and undermines the integrity of the notion of the church's communion and so it's an offense not only to God and to their own soul but it's an offense um, to uh, to those who might otherwise be sort of catechized or taught by the, the church that's why there's this this distinction made
0: right and you know
1: yeah anyone who is anyone who wants to be publicly
0: notorious in their grave sin in the way that a Catholic who makes frequent public speeches uh, in support of abortion and even maximal abortion um, legislation. I have no problem with every bishop in the country taking a similar uh, approach. i I would hope that if I were in a state of manifest uh, grave sin and being so obstinate, I would hope that my proper pastors would would take every available pastoral measure to not just affect my reform, but also to stop me receiving communion, which, again, this is another thing that always drives me nuts, is people are like, oh, well, you're excluding someone from, you know, Jesus ate with sinners and, you know, that's, with all of this ridiculous cod theology that just doesn't understand at all the church's teaching on the nature of either the Eucharist or the nature of sin and the, the idea of being in a state of sin, that you don't prohibit someone from receiving the Eucharist in the case of, you know, 915 or something like that. Because you want to wag your finger at them and say no treats for you, right? It, it, you are stopping them from doing a grave spiritual harm to themselves, to, to themselves, but also to the community. Because I also think to the community are like, well, but, but the can primary make their faces, intention but- of this is you are saying what you if you were to receive communion in this state, you would be compounding the damage to your soul and
1: an loving yourself parent to the possibility doesn't allow conversion. that, right? Yeah, and anewing yourself to the possibility of conversion, uh, you're right. And and so there's then there's this sort of thing about like, well. um, there are people who are who who habitually um, advocate for the unjust application of the death penalty, and uh, should they be uh, prohibited from holy communion too? And I think you and I would read the church's law. Like, yeah, yeah, go you for know, it. Knock uh, that's not out. A, I mean, it's not a, really kind of an. It's own, different in kind, um, I would argue, because it's a different
0: um, level of teaching. That, no, that's why I
1: said the unjust application of the death penalty. The I, mean, I don't but, want to get into a whole thing about the death yeah. penalty, but you know, um, yeah. but but if a person who's sort of habitually arguing for the application of the death penalty in a situ- in situations which do not merit it, and from uh, from. Perspective Perspectives which do not align with the churches, is, sure, yeah, if a bishop says this is giving scandal, that's Knock his prerogative. I, yeah. <laughs>
0: yeah, I absolutely would agree with that. But oh, it really might, does annoy me. About,
1: so, sorry, go so, ahead.
0: Uh, okay. I mean, you feel free to cut me off because I uh, now that I started the track things that annoy me
1: <laughs> – I, could, that's not, that's, I don't know if that's what this. Show we, is I about. mean, we could do
0: another. We could cut another two or three
1: bonus episodes <laughs> hey, just on welcome that. Welcome to <laughs> things that annoy me, the weekly podcast from Ed. You're getting just a dose of what. Uh, <laughs> Indeed. <laughs> yeah. You know what really grinds my ears? Let me tell you. You um, talked. Uh, oh no! Sorry. Go ahead. You want to say no, what? What I my was, my was gears.
0: going to say was, you know, you you frequently see these sort of ridiculous pseudo-scriptural arguments being trotted out when you talk about um, the denial of communion to anyone. Well, Jesus ate with sinners. It's like, well, yes, he did. And called um, it conversion. But there was only, you know, it's like, well, fine. But if you really want to go there with the Eucharist, then the sinner who actually attended the Eucharist and received communion was Judas. And how did that go? And what did Jesus say about it would be better for them to have never been born?
1: Well, it's just not the same, right? How many people did Jesus administer the Eucharist to versus how many people did Jesus eat with? And I hope that Christians are eating. Well, first of all, anyone who eats with me is eating with a sinner. And I think I need to continue to emphasize that I'm chief among sinners. But like um, there is a fundamental difference between engaging in human communion and Affirming the supernatural ecclesial communion which is um which is union well, with the church. Exactly. But
0: for most of the people who are making this argument, JD, and this is the problem, is their their primary I almost said heresy, but I'm not going to because we want to be very precise. <laughs> their primary
1: <laughs> we went back to that.
0: Their primary misunderstanding of church teaching doesn't actually relate to abortion because they usually concede that to support abortion is a, is a grave sin. But they say, well, Jesus ate with sinners. What they're actually saying there is that they don't understand the Eucharist and they think the Eucharist is just food. And they think it's just being together around a table, that they think it's just grape juice and um, what's the... I almost said Hovis. What's the what's the generic slice? What the 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 bread that you put on NASCARs? M- Wonder Bread. Wonder I don't bread. know what, They put think it's on all NASCARs? Welch's and Wonder Bread. What is the,
1: that? Sorry, uh, you said the bread that
0: you put on NASCARs, and yeah, no. like the Wonder Bread was a NASCAR sponsor. Like in my mind, like people in NASCARs all have Wonder Bread <laughs> on
1: them. while they're while they're doing the thing. NASCARs are sponsored, like they're all no no. But it. I mean, okay, but you're not imagining that Jimmy John Stewart or what have you is driving the NASCAR and. Just wolfing down bread.
0: Well, I, you know what? If there isn't a NASCAR a bit, driver a, who
1: eats while he's doing the Indy 500, I'll be disappointed. I don't but think no. NASCAR is the Indy 500, by the way. I'm not... I don't This know. is it's, outside of my area, but I'm, I'm pretty totally sure that something called area. the Daytona 500 is NASCAR. And Indy 500 is something called the Indy car. I'm a little bit frustrated with you, Ed, and I'll tell you why. Is a few minutes ago, you said something. It was right at the time when it was time for us to go to commercial. And you said something about... Um, being notorious for da-da-da, and I wanted to go to commercial by saying like, well, Ed, there's a lot more to talk about, and I do want to say that the only thing I want to be notorious for is being B-I-G, so I could make a little notorious B-I-G sort of a pun, and oh. uh, and then by the time that it came around for us to go to commercial again, that was lost, so I just- I, I, I apologize anyway. for
0: stepping on your transition. I, I
1: well, it's part. fine. We're going to go, uh, Ed, to hear a word from our sponsor, um, and I'm going to go grab a slice of Wonder Bread, and we'll be right back. And you know what can be a tough and rewarding job is to be a fundraiser. You know, um, Catholic ministries, apostolates, high schools, grade schools, dioceses, everything, right, um, requires money. Money is the thing which often animates ministry. And so um, to be a fundraiser is a really important thing, uh, but it can be tough, too. It's a hard job.
0: It is. It, it is a heavy lift. It is, it is an often lonely job. And you are expected to deliver, and and you you know you also have the the moral pressure to deliver because if you're fundraising for a Catholic institution, you believe in the mission, you you see the fruits in front of you, um, and you you want to support those. So
1: it is yeah, it is a, it is a hard job. If you um, are a Catholic fundraiser, one thing that can um, give you uh, the tools and the community to make fundraising enjoyable and fulfilling is to uh, is to go to the Petrus Development Conference. June 13th through 15th, uh, the Petrus Development Conference at the Naples Grand Resort in Naples, Florida is an opportunity to come together with like more than 150 Catholic fundraising professionals to build um, positive, supportive, reinforcing uh, relationships and uh, to get tools about the best uh, practices in fundraising today.
0: Yeah. If you're working in campus ministry, Catholic high schools, Catholic grade schools, diocese, or other Catholic apostolates, you can go to the Petrus Development Conference and invest in yourself and your career and your ministry's future. And if you want to, you can go to petrusdevelopment.com
1: pdc22 to register. That's right. PetrusDevelopment.com slash PDC22 to register for the Petrus Development Conference June 13th through 15th at the beach at the Naples Grand Resort in Naples, Florida. And if you use the coupon code PILLAR, you're going to get $50 off that registration. So how cool is that?
0: Well, I mean, anything that involves writing PILLAR is good.
1: Okay, right. Petrus Development Conference, PetrusDevelopment.com slash PDC22. Hey, everybody, welcome back to The Pillar Podcast, the podcast that brings you a great Catholic conversation each week. We're talking about um, uh, the decision announced Friday, May 20th, uh, to um, uh, that uh, Speaker Nancy Pelosi would not be admitted to Holy Communion announced by Archbishop Salvatore Cordelioni of the Archdiocese of San Francisco. And I was very careful with the way that I phrased that, Ed. Um, you may have noticed that. I was very careful with the way that I phrased it, because one of the questions that you and I have gotten, look, this just happened, or this just... What came out, I suppose, um, in the news just a couple of hours ago. But you and I have already heard from a lot of people with questions about it or observations about it. I imagine your phone is, um, as they say, blowing up. Is that right? Uh, yes, it's yeah. been
0: it's been a busy day on my and, phone.
1: And and one of the questions that we have gotten is sort of like, what does this mean? Which was was, uh, was Pelosi excommunicated? Was is this? Uh, was there a process first, a trial, or something like that? I mean, what does this mean? And uh, and. It, it's it's interesting. Um, this is not an Archbishop Cordelioni in his letters, um, and, and especially in his letter to priests, which you can read. It, we have a link to it on the on the site. Um, emphasizes that this is not a penalty uh, that came after a formal canonical process, or even that was declared late sententiae. This is not a formal sanction in the church. Instead, this is an act of sacramental discipline. And so, um, this nine, the canon nine fifteen says, you know, these persons, persons who obstinately persevere in manifest grave sin, um, are not to be. At, Admitted to Holy Communion. And so when Cordelione decides, okay, uh, this person is obstinately persevering in manifest grave sin and notifies her of that, um, he he is directing a communication to her, but he's also directing a communication to the ministers of Holy Communion in his diocese, who are the ones who actually decide who would be admitted to Holy Communion or not, right? So not yep. to be admitted to Holy Communion means, uh, it, it is for them a notice not to admit her. It is a, it is a, it is a, um, Uh, A notification that, as as we were talking about before, is an analogy, sort of the doors are closed there until such time as she withdraws from contumacy in in various ways. And the consequence of that is that... um, because Archbishop Cordelioni is making this decision about sacramental discipline, you and I were sort of talking about, like, well, what are the sort of jurisdictional limits of this, deci- of, of this decision? And as as we see it, this is a decision which Archbishop Cordelioni has the authority to make for the Archdiocese of San Francisco. That, And I think this is the generally accepted canonical sort of purview is that he has the authority to sort of make this decision for the Archdiocese of San Francisco, but that doesn't mean that it doesn't have implications beyond the Archdiocese.
0: Right. I mean, the, uh, he is... Pelosi's proper pastor. I mean, she does have domicile in his diocese, and so much of the discussion in the church, not at the, not just at the level of the bishop's conference, but at the level of the CDF, has stressed that the person who should be making this determination about sacramental discipline is the, the proper pastor, the local bishop of the politicians in question. So it's not just a question of, well, Cordellone is a bishop, and he has a diocese, and he can make this decision for his diocese. I mean... You know, it, the, the, his, his decision is not his decision, and the application of it is not analogous to you know, um, if a bishop in Helena, Montana, were to make the same statement about Speaker Pelosi. That, that the, you know, this isn't just a question of he's a bishop in a diocese, and therefore he can say this, but that there is something particular to his jurisdiction and authority over Nancy Pelosi, her being um, a Catholic in his flock, her having domicile in his archdiocese. Now. You know the question of to what extent does this writ run beyond the borders of the archdiocese, I think is an interesting one. Um, I think it's primarily interesting because of the way he's he's phrased this notification. you know as you as you pointed out, it's it seems to be phrased as a as a notification to ministers ordinary and extraordinary of holy communion in in his archdiocese. But I don't know that it's it then follows to say that you know it doesn't have any other application beyond that. Um, I mean, this is the pastoral discernment of Pelosi's proper pastor, and he has
1: declared her to be oppositely persevering in manifest, in the manifest sin, or judged sense. judged her to so, be, and, yeah, after these initiatives of trying to be engaged with her and all these things, right?
0: But what I guess what I'm saying is the if you like the prohibition, I guess you could argue doesn't run beyond the archdiocese of San Francisco, but the the declaration by the proper pastor on the status of the person does that you know uh, nancy pelosi being declared to be obstinately persevering in a state of manifest grave sin that status and that decision by her proper pastor doesn't disappear when she leaves san francisco yeah it, it does i mean it does and if you are aware as a minister of communion that someone is obstinately persevering in manifest grave sin
1: it is incumbent on you not to admit them to communion. If, if you accept the judgment. So I think it, it, it's not the same as laboring under a penalty, right? it's, no, not, it's quite not the same, same, same as, laboring as laboring under a under penalty. Under penalty. penalty. If penalty you're laboring a pen- under a penalty, the church law says, if you're laboring under a penalty, no matter where you go, you're laboring under that penalty until the person who imposed the penalty remits the penalty. Right, um,
0: but if you are declared to be in a state of sin. Or a person competent to remit the penalty remits the penalty. Sure. But, but if right. you are in a state of grave sin and you are, you are declared to be so in a public way, by someone competent to make that declaration, that declaration doesn't have geographical limitations.
1: Well, it does, but it doesn't. But the question is what juridic implication it has, right? So sure, it is true. So so the so the decision incumbent on every other bishop is, um, uh, every other bishop for whom this is relevant is, um, do I accept the judgment of Archbishop Cordileone on this or not? Well, and. I- uh, I I don't think he's legally bound to accept the judgment of Archbishop Corleone on this. Uh, um, You could say he's morally bound to, but it's possible, right? That in a situation that's less sort of clear cut, um, uh, the judgment could be dem- sort of flawed or demonstrably flawed, right? So it's so it's and there's actually not even an appeal f- from that, I don't think, or not a clear line of appeal from that, I don't think. So um, a person, a bishop, could declare that, and the judgment could be flawed. So I do think a bishop, every other bishop, has to decide for whom it's relevant: will I accept this judgment or will I not? But I also think that as a manifestation of ecclesial communion, um, the presumption I think is to try is to uh, is to extend a— trust or the benefit of the doubt to a bishop who has, even in his notification, sort of demonstrated the pathway by which he came to arrive at this judgment.
0: Okay. I, I don't know that I accept your your secondary point that I don't think it's relevant or should be relevant that Archbishop Cordelian has gone to pains to demonstrate how he arrived at his judgment. I think that the, the church is very clear, both at the level of the bishop's conference and at the level of... Um, the Holy See, that it is it is for the pastor to make this determination following certain steps, blah, 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 blah. blah. Um, whether or not a member of their flock is falls under the purview of canon 915 like that's that's what
1: the cdf said right i don't i think no i think the church is very clear that it's that it's within the competence of a pastor to make this judgment about the person about about the person within the limits of their incompetence but i don't think you can make an a legal argument i think there's a moral argument to be made an ethical argument to be made that we'll talk about separately but i don't think you can make a legal argument that archbishop cordelione can legally bind another bishop this decision. i didn't say he can legally bind no i didn't say that okay i said that the
0: determination of obstinate perseverance and manifest grave sin in the terms of canon 915 the determination of that state is proper to the proper pastor and that is defined by the cdf and by the bishop's conference and various other ecclesiastical bodies to be the local ordinary of the
1: person's place of domicile but a person could make a, a minister of holy communion could make that decision apart from uh, i i think you a minister of holy communion could make that decision apart from hang on the, your the pastor you're, you're, no no but you're making
0: you're making abstract what is
1: particular it's
0: <laughs> okay it is it is true that in general the proper pastor can be the parish priest the proper pastor could be an extraordinary minister of holy communion in some circumstances that are extremely crazy if necessary
1: sorry the proper pastor could be an extraordinary sorry, no, minister sorry the proper pastor the, the proper person, person, person to, to make, make the, the determination okay could be in some know, uh, highly unusual circumstance yeah sure. very but, yeah. highly unusual but that's my point
0: is let's not uh, let's not go out to the abstract when we've got the particular the cdf has written has written to the usccb about the particular with in particular reference to catholic politicians supporting abortion
1: and they have said the person proper to making this judgment is the local diocesan bishop okay so you're talking about like the um you're talking about the ratzinger letter of two thousand four. I'm also talking about the Ladaria the Ladari letter, of letter last year. I, I'd have to pull up the text. I, I want if we're going to talk about those letters, I want to talk about them with them in front of me. So I'm going to pull them up even as we're talking. All right, going um, to do that. Because uh, I think because I think you're right. I mean, so. Uh, uh, the Ratzinger letter is interesting regarding the grave sin of abortion or euthanasia. So this is a letter in 2004 that Cardinal Ratzinger wrote to the US bishops regarding the grave sin of abortion or euthanasia when a person's formal cooperation becomes manifest in the case of a Catholic po- politician as is consistently campaigning or voting for permissive abortion or euthanasia laws. Okay. His pastor should meet with him, check, instructing him about the church's teaching, check, informing that he's not to present himself for holy communion, check, until he brings to an end the objective situation of sin. Uh, when these precautionary measures have not been have not had their effect, um, and the person in question with obstinate persistence still presents himself to receive the Holy Eucharist. The minister of Holy Communion must refuse to distribute it. So there is, um, there is, it would seem to me, a level of judgment afforded to the minister of Holy Communion, where, as Cordelia has said, in this diocese, ministers of Holy Communion, because I'm the bishop, ministers of Holy Communion are not to administer Holy Communion to uh, uh, to Pelosi. Um The minister of Holy Communion in another diocese, it would seem, would have to make their own judgment about that. Do do you think?
0: I, I guess. I mean, I'm looking at the Ladaria letter now, which says, and it's referencing the Ratzinger letter, um... At the time, this is at the time that the, the Ratzinger letter was written, the development of a national policy was not under consideration, and Cardinal Ratzinger offered general principles on the worthy reception of holy communion in order to assist local ordinaries in the United States in their dealings with Catholic pro-choice politicians within their jurisdictions. And it should only be discuss- should only thus be discussed within the context of that doctrinal note. And it goes on. I mean,
1: it's it seems so pretty assist clear. assist local ordinaries in their dealings with Catholic— pro- it doesn't say their subjects. This is Catholic protest politicians within their jurisdiction. So it seems like this is a decision, as Ladari is framing it, it's a decision that a bishop makes about the people who are in his jurisdiction. Now, whether he extends the judgment of the diocesan bishop of the person to that or not, uh, the diocesan bishop's competence— th- there is an element of volition where one diocesan bishop has to accept— the judgment of another person.
0: No, I, um, I understand
1: yeah. that what you're saying that it's
0: not it's not a question of um, there's a legal obligation for other bishops to, for example, uh, accept uh, and defer to Archbishop Corleone's.
1: But is there a moral obligation? Is oh, there's it another... certainly a moral obligation. So, so let's talk. But... Let's what we're talking about is Gregory, right? So we're talking about Cardinal Gregory because because um, uh, Speaker Pelosi has a in a, a condo in Washington D.C. That's where she lives when Congress is in session. She goes to Holy Trinity Parish in Georgetown, apparently, uh, as a bunch of priests told us today. So um, the question that everybody's really interested in is: Will Cardinal Gregory sort of mandate this in? Um, uh, or, or sort of affirm this or uphold this as an obligation in the archdiocese of Washington, and I think that you would say, uh, I, I think we both would say, um, the church is not going to say, Cardinal Gregory, you have an obligation to, or if Cardinal Gregory doesn't, that Cordileone couldn't like make a recourse to the congregation nope. for bishops and, and absolutely. Win. So from a legal perspective, Cardinal uh, um, Gregory has to make his own judgment about that. The question is, um, that's why I bring up Cordileone, sort of making this case about obstinacy about manifest grave sin is because as Cordelione has made this case um, it is effectively an in, in argument in favor of what he's doing that's what he's do- doing in this notification and does Gregory have a, a moral obligation to to take seriously this evidence of obstinacy this evidence of manifest grave sin this evidence of perseverance as he sort of instructs ministers of the Holy Communion in his own diocese I, I, I see what you're saying um, the short answer yes Hold uh, on, a dog and a cat are chasing each other in my studio. This is terrible. And they're both covered in snow. Listeners, I'm sorry. This is madness. It's
0: like a freaking cartoon in here. Okay, sorry, go ahead. Ed. Good Lord. All right, well, now that you've finished living through it, you and scratchy. Um Scratchy. <laughs> I know, that's what it was like. Uh, the, no, what I was going to say, the short answer to your question is, yes, he should. The The longer answer is, but he shouldn't have to. And my, and what I was going to say is this, that it's a question primarily of um, Episcopal communion, I think. That if you recognize that Speaker Pelosi's domicile, proper domicile, is in San Francisco and that her proper pastor is Archbishop Corte-Leone, i I think that as a matter of Episcopal communion... You should be deferring automatically to the judgment of her proper pastor, and uh, unless not you have say, something to overcome it, I, I would say unless you have something to, but to, to overcome it, that should be the presumption. It. But my, and, but what I was going to say is, you know, it should the the default shouldn't be, well, I hear what this person's proper pastor has decided after a long personal engagement and attempts to at engage with this person, but I want to see their argumentation. Right, like that's not a demonstration of um, fraternal behavior or episcopal communion. That you the default is. Well, her proper pastor and my brother bishop has made a decision, and my my knee-jerk reaction would be, whatever he says goes. You know, it's not for in the same way that that I have heard bishops say, well, President Biden's proper pastor living at living at 1600 Pennsylvania Avenue is Cardinal Gregory, and it's not for other bishops to try and dictate to Biden's proper pastor what the policy on his reception of communion should be. That's between him and his proper pastor, the Cardinal Archbishop of Washington, DC. So in the same way that there is the presumption of they should respect that pastoral relationship, you would expect that Cardinal Gregory would, you know, effectively be on the other side of that and, and respect and honor it too, without saying, well, show me your homework and I'll decide for myself whether I think you've, you know, whether you've made a good enough case.
1: Yeah, here's here's, how, here's a way that I would look at it. And you might say, well, this is unfair to Cardinal Gregory because it's his it's his house. You know, he's the he's the pastor of that. Here, here's the way I would look at it. Um, we are relatively restrictive in my home about what my children watch on television. Um, the kids in the neighborhood who they play with, the parents of the kids in the neighborhood who they play with know that because the kids in the parents of this, uh, the, the parents of the kids in this neighborhood know that we're like kind of the religious people that they think are kind of weird, but we usually like to drink beers with them, so they're kind of fine with it too. But the um, the point is, you know, I'm sure that we are less permissive about what our kids watch on TV than some of the people who, you know, in the neighborhood who the kids might play with or something like that. It would be wrong if my kid was at another person's house and uh, the, the parent at home said, uh, well, I know what your parents have said about what's good for you um, and what's not good for you to watch on TV. But in our house... Um, I get to decide what we watch, and so you can watch this super scary monster thing. It, you know what I mean? It would just—it would be—it would not be an expression of any kind of communion whatsoever. It would be a defiance, in fact, of a kind right. of the kind of parental communion by which we're letting each other, you know, by which our kids. are. Now, Nancy Pelosi is an adult. I'm not—I don't take the analogy too far, which inevitably someone will. But the point is, it would be wrong for me too to say, uh, uh, you know, um, well. I get to decide what the rules are in my house. So if, um, if my kids have a friend over and that kid's not allowed to, um, you know, listen to this kind of music, but my kids are allowed to listen to whatever kind of music they want. So I'm going to put on sort of death metal for this kid who's not allowed to, it would be wrong, right? I mean, it would just be a violation of respect and the sort of respect that is at the heart of any kind of interpersonal communion to just sort of say, well, I'm going to, make my own judgment with no respect for a person with, for what a person with a proper um, element of authority has to say here. And yeah. I think that's that looking at it that way from looking at it from like legally, what does Gregory have to do or not do it? it gets very nebby, and it just, it undermines um, the way in which the church exists, not as, uh, and I know you're going to, I don't know how you're going to respond to this, but it, it is, it undermines the nature of the church to look at it um in sort of its in sort of bare legal obligations apart from the obligations of the church as communion,
0: I, I would absolutely agree yeah. with that. I mean, if
1: you if you think that having um,
0: a a reasonably fractious debate based on theoretical differences of opinion last year was damaging to the to Episcopal communion and the the sort of general tone of the leadership of the church in this country last year. Imagine what will happen if we basically get to a point where a bunch of bishops turn around and say, well, I don't care what you say in your diocese for your people. In my house, we do whatever we want. And uh, I mean, that that will create a terrible precedent for the relationship between bishops to basically say the presumption is no longer one of communion. The presumption is no longer one of cooperation. The presumption is no longer one of fraternity. The presumption is one of, we are all entirely separate. We are all laws unto ourselves. We are all different fiefdoms. We, you know, communion is a secondary concern to our own uh, judgments in any particular case, regardless of whose uh, who's pastoral and governing subject is is an issue. I, I mean, that would really damage the idea of of Episcopal communion to my mind.
1: Yeah. So, you know, one of the ways that this came up is that we, um, we asked, so, so Speaker Pelosi has a, uh, has a, a vineyard in the Napa Valley, uh, as one does. That would be suppose. nice. Yeah. Right. <laughs> Actually, It's I, good that our civil servants can afford vineyards.
0: <laughs> There's a
1: certain sort of Cincinnatus kind of thing. But anyway, uh, Pelosi has this, uh, vineyard and, uh, and, um, I wouldn't want a vineyard, actually. I, I, it's not the thing that I would want if I was going to have a thing. But, well, I don't um,
0: imagine for a second that Nancy's out there pruning the grapes, JD. She's inside with the double chest freezer of ice cream.
1: She's, I'm just you know. saying, if I had another, if I had another pad, I'd want it to be. I'd want to live beside the ocean, as it were. You know. Oh, I see. Um, yeah. Uh, anywho, neither here nor there. Pelosi's got this other pad in the Napa Valley. And uh, and so we reached out this afternoon to um, both Cardinal Gregory and the Archdiocese of Washington and to the Bishop of Santa Rosa, California, which is where the, the Diocese of the Napa Valley, and asked them if they would sort of uphold this. And uh, and uh, uh, Cardinal Gregory didn't get back to us. Bishop Vasha of Santa Rosa did get back to us, and he said he instructed his pastors not to ignore, um, th- that they couldn't ignore this um, instruction of the Archbishop of San Francisco. Um, and uh, And, you know again, there are two ways to look at it. As a bare legal matter, so how, what what can be understood from that? One, he's sort of affirming that he uphold, that he uh, uh, takes that judgment, or two, he's sort of affirming that he respects the authority of her diocesan bishop, you know, even though she's got a quasi, quasi-domicile there. So even while he has sort of jurisdictional authority over sacramental ministry in his place, he's sort of affirming that respect. Um, is is that, Could he make a legal argument that says, I set the rules here? Um Yes, um, he could make that legal argument that says I have no legal obligation to do what um, Archbishop Corleone has done, just as I could say, well, I have no legal argument, obligation to, you know, not put on a bad TV show because other kids aren't supposed to watch a bad TV show or whatever. But um, as an expression of the church's ecclesial communion, I think that's what he's trying to affirm is that we have this you know, connection and we, and we recognize the sort of judgment of authority. Now he said something about kind of the law following the person. And I don't, honestly, I'd want to ask more questions about that. I don't quite know if I know where that is, but you want to say something about it?
0: Well, I have a theory. I have a theory. Uh, Again, if you, okay. So talking about the, talking about Canon 915, um, and specifically the second clause, which is those obstinately persevering in manifest grace and are not to be admitted to Holy Communion. Now, I would I would say that a way of in, of interpreting, and I think maybe this is what Bishop Fascia is doing, I don't know, but I, I the way I would read it is he's not saying, um, Archbishop Corleone's instruction that Nancy Pelosi is not to be admitted to Holy Communion, that writ runs to his diocese. I, I don't think that's what he's doing, but what, I think what he's doing is saying, Nancy Pelosi having been judged by someone capable of making the judgment to be obstinately persevering in manifest gravesend, that can't be ignored. That reality has been objectively established by someone capable of establishing it, and we can't ignore that judgment. And the law is very clear about what we are to do in cases where a person is in that state.
1: Yeah. And I I don't want to make an apologetic for the guy, because when first I read it, I sort of thought, well, legally... He can make decisions about his own diocese, but I think he's talking about something that goes again. <laughs> for a lawyer, it's like, but I think he's actually talking about something which goes beyond the law, which is just this: we ha- we, a person who is competent to make this judgment has made this judgment, and we can't just overcome. As you say, I mean that that again. It's not my intention to make. Uh, I'm trying to parse out what's meant here, and I think seeing that in the context of sort of ecclesial communion is the way in which it sort of most fleshes out to me. Yeah. Well, I I think the two are
0: complementary. I think it is is a function of ecclesial communion to say the proper pastor of this person has made Mm -hmm. a determination about them. It's not that he's telling us what we can or cannot do in our diocese, but the universal law of the church tells us what we should and should not be doing with a person in a particular state. Mm
1: -hmm. And we are
0: aware of that state. Right.
1: Now... um we just have a couple of minutes here, but what's going to happen? I I don't think so. That's sort of Ed and JD's take on all that. I don't think that um, the archdiocese of Washington is going to uh, is going to um, uh, up sort of uphold or recognize um, Archbishop Corleone's decision on this. Um, Cardinal Gregory has said in the past that he thinks that these kind of things weaponize the Eucharist, which is an argument that a fair number of bishops have made, that they they say—a fair number of bishops have said that decisions like this sort of tokenize the Eucharist into a sort of political football um, rather, than, uh, rather than an expression of the church's communion. Now, I think Ed and I have laid out in the context of this podcast a kind of—at least our reading of the church's response to that. Um, but, uh, but I don't, and then, you know, Cardinal Gregory has said when asked about Bi- Biden and communion has said, uh, well, I don't want to, you know, sit down at the table. I want to have a dialogue with him. I don't want to sit down at the table with a gun in my hand. In other words, I don't, you know, I, I think this is a kind of a, this thread is not a productive mode of, of engagement. So agree with that or disagree with that. I don't think that Cardinal Gregory is going to um, uphold or recognize, uh, Archbishop Quarterly on decision on this. And, um, and, uh, and so, you know, there will be bishops. I think bishops, there are bishops who are already, again, we're recording this just a few hours after it happened, but there are bishops who are sort of already um, lining up to say that they support Archbishop Corteleone's decision. And I think there will be some bishops who, once Gregory sort of responds, I don't think there will be a lot of bishops who jump out to say, I think Corteleone's wrong. But once Gregory responds, I think there will be bishops who say, I agree with Gregory. And so this will line up along the exact same lines as last year, where there's a of bishops who think that Corte Leoni's right and acquirement of bishops who think that this is not um, an expression of the church's pastoral communion or accompaniment or something like that and, and Francis I suspect will not say anything about it but The uh, Cordelioni guys will try to say this is in line with Francis, based upon things that he said on a plane last year. The uh, not Francis guys will try to say this is not in line with Francis, based largely upon the same things that he said on a plane last year, which seem to be, which you know, lend themselves just for the purpose of mapping this out. I think can you know have been already interpreted in competing ways, Um, and uh, and it's going to be a whole thing. And, uh, and so um, at the same time, you know, there have been these protesters at cathedrals and stuff in recent weeks over Roe versus Wade. And I think it's reasonable to expect that there will be a a critical mass of protesters in the Archdiocese of San Francisco this, uh, this, this week. But I don't think, I think this will become a point of uh, division among the bishops. I don't think I don't know how much they'll discuss it at their November meeting. I think they, after their big sort of fractious June meeting last year, I think they made an effort this past November to uh, not fight so much, at least not in public session. But I think there are going to be a lot of bishops who are mad about this. And so I, I don't put, I don't exclude the possibility of sort of a big public dispute anymore because we, the way these things have been happening, I wouldn't be surprised.
0: I would expect a big public dispute, and I tell you what, I think to the extent that Pope Francis weighs in on this, and I think there will be journalists. I mean, if he's he's got some trips coming up, um, and he has a he has a habit of sort of doing in-flight Q and As, I think if 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 he has one sort of in the next month or so he'll someone will try and ask him this whether they screen it out or not i don't know but i think someone will try and ask him this but absent that i think the if the bishops do end up having um another very public falling out over this i think if pope francis weighs in the way we'll most likely see him weigh in is if he sends someone to the usccb meeting in june he says well you're gonna have a treat i'm gonna send you someone to to be a retreat master
1: for you i think the retreat master is fish is archbishop fisher of uh, oh, is, it? is, Arch- is uh, archbishop fisher of sydney oh but uh, but francis Maywell. if things well, heat I up i like, the time when he said you, said you all need to, last to had a big and, old yeah. fight i wouldn't be surprised if he if he appointed another retreat master if this really heats up over the next couple of weeks yeah. that would like be
0: he said father me. canta mesa
1: yeah before said, that january 2019 yeah. retreat yeah yeah, that's a good point. Which
0: was great, by every, by all
1: accounts. But yeah, I, I didn't. I haven't talked to a single bishop who didn't really, really like that. So, anywho, there will be more of this. Stay tuned. Stay tuned with the pillar, because of course we'll be covering it more. Ed, final thoughts. Um. Nah, yeah, I gotta go shovel this snowman. <laughs> I was gonna say I, my
0: air conditioning is making it all mighty noise. <sighs> I Gotta make sure it's all right.
1: This episode of the Pillar podcast was brought to you by the 2022 Petrus Development Conference. Join Catholic fundraising professionals in Naples, Florida this June to build the tools and community that make fundraising enjoyable and fulfilling. For more details and to register, go to PetrusDevelopment.com PDC22, PetrusDevelopment.com PDC22, and use coupon code Pillar for $50 off your conference registration. The Pillar Podcast is a production of Pillar Media and Ed NJD Production. I'm your host and Pillar Editor in Chief, JD Flint, joined as always by my podcasting partner um, and Pillar co founder, Ed Condon. Our executive producer is Kate Oliveira, and we'll be back next week with plenty more, I'm sure.